0: This week's guest on One Question XYZ is a badass and a friend, Callie Simpson. She's the founder of Discover Night. You may have seen her product on Instagram. It's basically this black silk pillow. It's a beauty pillow with all sorts of benefits for your hair and your skin. She talks about ways she's disrupting the sleep category by asking, why haven't pillows changed in so many years? Please subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates. New episodes dropping every single Wednesday. Hey, everybody. This is Carl from One Question XYZ. Welcome back. We also have our favorite co-host, and her name is? Hey, Dahlia Strom here. And we have an amazing guest today. Her name is Callie Simpson, and she's a Southern belle at heart, a friend of Lindsay Hubbard from my epic TV show, Summer House. Uh, Callie, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you guys so much for having me.
0: She's uh, she's just returned from Portugal, so she might be a little jet-lagged.
1: Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> so I know that you guys
2: mentioned it, but was that work? Was that uh, for fun? What was the purpose of the trip?
1: Oh, the trip was just for fun. It's It was Thanksgiving, um, so I took my mom over there, her first time abroad. But actually, Portugal has a really significant connection to me. I was there six years ago on a layover and um, noticed a advertisement for this toilet paper company. <laughs> And it was the coolest ad for toilet paper by far I'd ever seen. It made you think this toilet paper was, like, sexy and fun. <laughs> and, and it was black, and it was everything unexpected. Um, and black,
0: was, black toilet paper? Black
1: toilet paper. I actually like the idea of that, black toilet paper. I Wait. have
0: an idea about toilet paper, so continue. This is really good.
1: So at the time, and as I do now, I was selling pillows. I was working for a subsidiary of Temper sealy and our product was uh, very commoditized. And I thought, wow, if these people could make toilet paper so cool, maybe I could make pillows cool. I came back and told my boss the idea, and it didn't really happen at the time. But that really was the first little kernel of the idea for my company now. So I've always wanted to go back to Portugal because it's always kind of been in my heart since.
0: Callie, I'm really interested. I know, you you know, Portugal, obviously, that's really cool to where you are now. If you can just take a te- like step back is, can you kind of tell us like, Where you went to school, like what did you study, like how did you get into selling mattresses?
1: And then even more importantly, uh, tell us also what Discover Night is. Yeah, of course. So um, as Carl mentioned, I'm from uh, the South, from North Carolina. I went to school at University of North Carolina, Wilmington, UNCW, Seahawks. (laughs) Um, I graduated with a degree in business and I graduated probably around the time you guys did where it was like job market Armageddon. Like there was not a job to be had. So I thought I'd come out of school with like, you know, and be CEO of a company. And I came out of school and like was lucky to get a job basically waitressing. So I was putting tons of feelers out and got connected with a friend of mine whose dad was in the home industry. North Carolina is to home industry as like Detroit is to automotive huge, huge epicenter of furniture. Furniture,
0: I know. For like uh what's the, the High ta- Point. Yeah, high point. Yeah, it's like yeah. the furniture capital of the United States. I
1: think this is so
2: fascinating, by the way, because I went to Detroit recently. Um so I I went to StockX Day and it's just interesting to see like all these micro areas that like focus on specific verticals. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's kinda like in New York where you have like neighborhoods that are just like like Murray Hill is like just Indian food kind of yeah. thing and you can go that's kind of how the country is with different industries, and North Carolina very focused on home, so fell into the category. Um, and at the time, it was a really unique uh, place to be because quotas had just dropped for overseas goods. So there used to be a quote on how many goods we could import in the home textile category that really protected the domestic industry. Then the quotas got dropped around 2006, and all the retailers opened up overseas offices. So it was kind of that kind of devastated the Uh, local manufacturing and opened up huge opportunities overseas. So my first job was actually working for a Chinese home textile manufacturer. Eighty percent of our products were sheets and uh, top of bed, like comforters. And we sold to anyone from Walmart to Bed Bath & Beyond, really big national retailers. So I started out there, um, started learning about manufacturing, started learning about the product and really how to build a retail business because my focus was account management for these retailers. And then that took me eventually to New York, and I fell in love with the city.
0: Did, did you always want to get into home? I mean, being from North Carolina, I know you're surrounded by that kind of culture, but were you, like, kind of bummed out that you had to get a yeah. job working for? I
1: de- I didn't, you know, as a kid, I wasn't like, I want to grow up and sell pillows. No, <laughs> definitely, definitely not. But, uh, again, limited opportunity at the time, and I just wanted a job with health insurance. Also, during the time you graduate school, when I got out, you didn't, you didn't get to stay on your parents' plan. So I needed health insurance and a job, and I kind of fell into it. But I honestly, I ended up loving it because it was a lot of travel. Um, I got to develop product, and it was a product that hadn't changed in a long time, which I just saw so much opportunity
2: I in agree. It. Like, even to this day, like, we're still seeing slow movement in that area other than the mattresses. But,
1: that, yeah, from a product innovation standpoint, it's right. so
0: slow moving. And it's- why why is that, do you think?
1: I think it's it's super commoditized. And, and can
0: you explain to our listeners, so I, I've been kind of doing some of my vocabulary for listeners, like UI <laughs> yeah. is user interface, KPIs, key performance indicators. What does commoditized mean? I, I know what it means, but I'm curious if you can kind of shed maybe a definition of it for our listeners.
1: So commoditize, it's no unique properties. It's like ground beef where... You know, ground beef is ground beef. So you're really just focused on the price of it. Um, there's not really branding going on behind it or marketing going on behind it. And, uh, you know, that I think is the situation because it's a need-based product. There's no... It hasn't ever really been marketed with, like, hedonic goods. You, you don't think about what you want. You don't usually get excited to go spend your money on betting. You get more excited to go spend your money on your happy hour. So I think probably because of that and because you always need it.
2: But do you feel like
1: people skimp
2: on it? Because, like, yes, it's need-based, but it's not, like... Just like you said it's it's missing like the sexiness, like do you think
1: that people might necessarily spend a little bit less, and what's the driver? 100 to- percent because you don't spend you don't want spend a lot of money on things you need, you spend money on things you want, yeah, and it's really up to whoever's selling that product to make it not just a need base to make it also something you want?
2: I love that phrase you spend a lot on things you want, not things you need
1: yeah, like I hate when I have to pay for the dentist out of pocket but I don't you know flinch with my happy hour bill or <laughs> when I go it's shopping. So true. It's um, so true. So yeah I think all of that for me was just a huge opportunity and why was it that way? Well we mentioned the the epicenter of it is the southeast so that's not the most progressive place in the world. It was an industry that is and was dominated by you know old white guys honestly and that I think that also led to the fact that it doesn't progress or evolve as quickly as other industries where you have, you know, not so much homogeny. Yeah. You know? So
0: what was that aha moment? Like you've been, you're working for, you know, the temper Sealy group, you know, you've been kind of traveling around, you've been noticing, I think, different industry changes. When did you kind of come to that point where you're like, I want to start a pillow company?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a, well, so I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I think most people on some level, humans have this like need to create and i think everyone on some level has it and i always had it in a in a really prominent way so i knew i i wanted to eventually do something on my own what it was going to be i wasn't sure but i was working for that chinese home textile manufacturer which brought me to new york a lot first time i ever experienced the city and it was like love at first sight from there i got connected with this company that was a i guess you could call it a startup because it was only about a year into business but it was owned by a guy who had been very, very successful in memory foam accessories, so pillows and toppers. And eventually it would get acquired by Tempur-Saley, so that's how I became a part of them. But I got connected with that company up here. The name of the company is Comfort Revolution. And seeing the success that the CEO of that company had had really was a motivating factor.
0: I mean, Success meaning his personal wealth or the company doing well?
1: Uh, his Both. birth. Yeah, well, honestly, what and got me most excited honestly was his personal wealth his first <laughs> I mean be honest it's, yeah, we, it's we the appreciate point of that. entrepreneurship yes, <laughs> totally. his first company um sold in five years for an undisclosed amount but I think you could estimate it to be between four and five hundred million wow in five years and take some of that I'll I'll say this as diplomatically as possible but I didn't what I saw was uh, people could be really successful in this category without necessarily, it, you know, it d- didn't take as much to be successful in this category. It's probably some more other competitive categories. I felt like it was probably like playing dodgeball with kindergartners. Like, <laughs> you know, you could kind of... I set, love your... You can I just, love just how win. candid I love how candid... <laughs> this is great. Right? Set, set yourself up to really, you know, so... When you're in that kind of environment, of course you're like, "Gosh, I can, I can do this, and why shouldn't I do this? Look at what the reward is." Yeah. So, um, and also, again, the category hadn't evolved at all. So you're seeing things, and you're like, "I could do this cooler. I could make this more fun. Why are we doing things this way? It doesn't need to be this way." And it, constantly having that kind of moment, you finally are like, "All right, it's time to, it's time to go for it." So actually, the point for me, like the real breaking point was I got offered a big job back in North Carolina from actually my previous boss, my first boss out of college. He's with the, uh, the biggest distributor and manufacturer of, of home goods here in the U.S. of soft home goods. And they're based out of Fort Mill, South Carolina, and they came to me with this big job offer. I was 29, and I was like, okay, I could go back to North Carolina and I could live a very quality life on this salary. It was more than I was even making in New York, and, you know, you get off work at 4 p.m., and was all these great comforts. At the time, I had been, had this uh, colleague of mine, and we had been throwing ideas back and forth for a long time, and I asked him for advice on should I take the job or not. You know, I think I'm going to move back, have this really quality life. And he was like, I, look, I have this money that I have saved for a down payment for my home, if you want to do this, I believe in you so much, like we'll take this down payment and we'll use it as seed money wow. if you say no to this offer. And at the time, I don't know, it just felt right. So if I you did. didn't have that money, do you think you still would have moved forward with it? Um, I think at this point I would have found a way to probably do my own thing, but it wouldn't look like this. Um, and I think there's like pros and cons to that because when you're, when you're taking that big of risk and you're bringing someone else along a ride with you, that's a lot of responsibility yeah, and that's a lot of pressure. Um, but it could be good pressure too, right? Like it motivates yeah. you to execute faster, stronger. For sure. Nothing, yeah. n- it's like when you see a movie and somebody is getting chased by someone and then they jump off the cliff. You, normally you're not going to jump off the cliff, right? Uh, but if you're getting chased by something scarier, you're going you're gonna to take leaps of faith that you never thought you would take. I think that we're constantly doing that because we have the the fear of how big the risk is that we've taken. We, you know, failing is way worth way scarier than ever not taking whatever jump we have to take to be successful. So it can motivate you in good ways as well, of course.
0: So you did, he didn't buy the house.
1: He didn't buy the house.
0: And you guys seated a, now the initial idea, can you kind of explain?
1: Yeah. The, I
0: mean, was it on a piece of, was it on the back of a napkin? Like how did this all?
1: So I mentioned the, the very, I guess, Colonel, first colonel cr- of it came at that labor in Portugal I saw this toilet paper company.
0: This isn't black toilet paper? Black
1: toilet paper. Actually, it Which, was... Which, by the way, why, is, why don't we have that in the States? We do actually, like, at one point, Beyonce wouldn't go on her tour without this toilet paper. It became a thing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I actually did, like, case studies on this company. And they were this small family-owned uh, company that couldn't compete against these big, big producers and, uh, and distributors of toilet paper. And why everyone was price competing and, you know, going left, they were like, let's do something totally different. Let's go right. Let's make this sexy and way more expensive and put ridiculous amount of quality and specs into it and see where that takes us. And they and they built this little niche for them and ended up, you know, uh, being very successful doing it.
0: Now, are they currently still around?
1: AR. They are. I saw an ad from this week, and I'm I was have to like, "Do a little oh. research
0: on the black toilet paper." Yeah, I, I have a toilet paper idea too, which I can talk to you offline. I
1: mean,
2: it's <laughs> industries like it's that. not a bad idea. I'll give them credit. It hasn't
0: been like, like kind of like to your point. I mean, it hasn't really been disrupted. And I love your thought where you're like, "Why are we doing it like this? Why is the mattresses? Why is home goods? Just kind of the same thing. It's always been, which is price or." Maybe a little bit of the quality angle, but most importantly, it's like how much is it going to cost me versus like I actually like this because it makes me feel a certain way or I identify with that brand.
1: Exactly. And there's so many industries, like toilet paper was a great example. Pillows was it for me. So many ones that I think there's so much opportunity in it where nobody's put really thought into into the product or into the way the story is told. So that was one part of the inspiration. Um, and then when we started going to the development process, That was very intense. So our first product is a line of pillows, and it's pillows and a pillowcase. They're sold together, and the pillowcase is silk, so it actually has nourishing properties for your skin and hair. The pillow itself is this really air-light memory foam. We worked with foam engineers on developing. It's incredibly, incredibly comfortable. When going through the process, we went so overboard because when you have your name behind something, and you you know your friends and family are going to open up their wallet for it. You don't want to sell them anything. You know you want to make sure you're going super super overboard. For me, that was so important to make sure people were going to be blown away by the product. Um, I sold literally millions and millions of pillows in my lifetime, but my name was never behind right. it. <laughs> At the name, of if you you know bought a pillow from Costco or from Sam's Club or a Sealy pillow or anything like that, you probably bought a pillow that I sold at some point. But I, it's so different when your name is behind it. I thought before if I was giving the retailer the specs, you know, that they met, whatever, then I was doing my job. Now if I wouldn't personally pay the price that I'm selling for it, and if I'm not okay with, like, my mom open up her wallet to pay for that, then I'm not okay with selling it.
2: I wish you could have gotten some cred because I don't know if you saw that the most recent episode of uh, This Is Us. But they, he, so she got really upset that she left her silk pillowcase at home and he didn't understand and he didn't make a big deal about it, but he especially had a, p- a silk pillowcase delivered to the hotel room for her when they arrived. So I wish that you could have gotten the cred for it. Yeah, it, it would have been a great little product integration. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, where did,
0: sorry, I don't want to cut you off, Tyler. No, ahead. no,
2: no. I was just going to say, like, why is silk so important for people's hair and skin?
1: So silk has two different benefits as it pertains to your skin and hair. One, it's chemical composition. It's actually, it's 100% natural, and it's made of complete proteins. Uh, Two proteins called Saracen and fibron. super, super compatible for your skin and hair. It's pumping it full of proteins and and good stuff, and it's actually why it's used in healthcare so much, like as wound treatment and stuff, because it's so compatible with the human body. Um, The second is the physical composition, if you feel silk. The feeling of silk is very, you know, lush, soft,
0: smooth. It, it, it is. It is what it is. It's silk. silky. Yeah. Like it's That's what it feels like. So it's,
1: it's not going to be abrasive on your skin and hair, whereas other materials like cotton being the most prominent um, one used in bedding, it's pretty abrasive. So it's scratching. It's dehydrating. It's actually what's causing bedhead. You know, it's always funny when we say bedhead, but it should be called pillowhead. It's yeah. actually what's causing that during the night. So that's stripping your oils, and um, women of color really get the story. Really get the story. I don't know. I didn't watch the episode. Oh yeah, that's
2: that was how it related back. Yeah. So. And it's like their hidden secret. Like they just know.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it it's weird though because it's it seems like a newer story. I think for our generation, but my grandma was one of the first ones that got it because I guess she used to like wrap her hair in silk scarves. I think maybe still does. Yeah. To, to um, maintain her hairstyle. So. At some point, it kind of got lost in more of the mainstream story, and I would probably, I would hypothesize that's because there's not a huge brand behind silk. Like Cotton's doing, like cute commercials with like Zoe Deschanel, like Cotton's Fabric of Life. Silk doesn't really have that kind of marketing power, but it's the most amazing textile there is.
0: Is there a, a, from a cost perspective, I mean, obviously you didn't care about the cost because you wanted to make the most amazing pillow with all the benefits, but is silk more expensive than cotton? It is
1: very, very yeah, expensive.
0: yeah,
2: yeah. It's, it's a, definitely expensive, but but that being said, so like it's supposed to be good for your skin and wrinkles too. So if we're spending that much on skincare,
1: Thank you. maybe this saves a little bit, but how, I don't even know how is it good for your skin? Okay, so- As I mentioned, it's pumping it full of these good proteins, and it's also super soft, and um, it's going to allow your skin to, like, effortlessly glide across. So it's not stripping it of oils or dehydrating it, which is the reason why you wake up with your skin a lot of times dehydrated, and it's why you're getting sleep lines, too. That dehydration and and the pressure, you know, in contact with more abrasive materials is causing you to get fine lines in your sleep. Dermatologists have told me they can tell what side you sleep on based on... And then... Um, at one point, the American Academy of Dermatology said, okay, the three things that are most proactively aging you. One is sun. We all know that. Where's it on the <laughs> screen? That's,
2: you know. Thank goodness it's gray here 75% yeah. of the time. <laughs> I'm like Casper. Uh, the
1: Casper sec- the ghost. Yeah, yeah. The, non- like the ghost. <laughs> the yes, friendly ghost. Yes. Uh, the second thing is smoking. We we know that, and most people are now, you know, that's cutting back at least here. And then the third thing was your sleep service. So we're top three most proactive things you can age yourself with. Your pillow, and you thought that was, you know, that's the thing you always kind of felt comfortable with. You, you kind of got to think twice about it. And you're spending one-third of your life. Not to sound like a soapbox, like I know this all, but it is. It's crazy. You can't name another product that you will come in that intimate contact with you for that long,
2: no, I agree. I so, just, I think that it's underrated, right? Like so we don't, underrated, yeah, we, we don't even realize how important that is for us, and especially like, right? out to if you get enough sleep for the day, are you feeling rested, regener, regenerated, right?
1: Um, sleep. I mean, we've done so much research on sleep to, you know, obviously support our story, and it is. There's not anything that's going to be better for you. Like, stop worrying about how much you're going to the gym or you know, how many calories you're eating a day, if you, if you really put that much effort into getting the quality sleep, your life will change.
0: And I, I actually have a pillow because Callie was amazing enough to give me one. And we do have I'm some I'm so pillow- jealous right now. We do, well, we do have a pillow on summer house. Uh, Lindsay was sleeping with them. I didn't really understand. It. I thought it was just another pillow. However, when I slept on it, I mean, it,
2: he enjoyed sleep even more. I loved
1: it. it was, <laughs> and I have,
0: I struggle with sleeping a lot.
1: The, the pillow is like is, one of the cast members of Summer House. I get so many the, texts like, Oh my god, people notice the pillow yeah, on the show. From all the seasons it's been in the house and
0: No, but like with, with the black silk, is there what's the difference? can it just be is silk normally black?
1: Silk. Can be any, any color. color. Um, we we make it black for a couple. One, it, it looks sexy. It mean, does it has looks a good nice looking yeah. pillow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think this product should be on like store shelves. I think it should be in the MoMA. Like it is a work of art. But um, there is a there is a utility function to it. It actually black negates light. Oh yeah. So it's you really the fact that we sleep on wet, white bedding is so backwards because any kind of simulation to your. Iris, which is where light is perceived, will disrupt uh, the production of melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. So it's really important to um, create as dark an environment as possible. And you think that sounds trivial, like, oh, sleeping. But no, I mean, they have studies that show that your alarm clock light just like, you know, can disrupt your, your uh, melatonin. I know, levels. This.
0: I, know this. I mean, just even looking at it one, one minute of the night and like, immediately disrupt it. yeah
1: yeah so it's super super important so it def- definitely has a function
2: i also love I'm it i'm at fall for that because all of my bed, like all of my bedding is all white so yeah. now
1: i have to rethink it 80 percent, 80 percent people i think i have white bedding. i
0: have had white bedding i think it for whatever reason it looks it looks cleaner yeah, maybe yeah. and yeah,
1: it brightens up the room you know i still have white sheets and everything i which i think it looks really good with yeah. you know there's like black pillows to have that contrast. And honestly, the most important is your pillow. That's where your your face and your eye, again, which is what perceives the light, is going to be. So as long as you're not reflecting directly up, you're probably safer. But
0: Well, a I, I, question for you, because I have the pillow now. Do I need to put a pillowcase over it? Do I just sleep no, without? You
1: sleep. It's a pillow and a pillowcase. We're selling it complete. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to create the most complete experience. I if I just sold a silk pillowcase, I'd I'd create this beautiful silk pillowcase and people would go home. I know cuz I'm this kind of person. I and you put it on like $10 crappy pillow. If we sold this beautiful pillow, you'd have the other effect, you know, you go home and use a $10 pillowcase and just kind of mess up the experience and they work together like the fabrication silk is also super super cooling. Well, it's cool in in the summertime, and it it, it has temperature regulating properties, which is super important to. I
2: actually agree with that because so I ran my family business an army army navy store for 15 years, and in socks. When they wanted you to be able to avoid sweat, they would put silk yep. in there as yeah, well. Yeah. So, I agree with that 100%. And
1: that's so important to being able to hit your best sleep. Um, we could do everything to moisturize our skin and hair and sleep on the perfect surface, but if you're not sleeping well in general, you're not hitting your REM cycles and you're not getting your deep rest. you're going to look horrible, right? Like, nothing's going to do more for your beauty game than sleep. It, <laughs> every sleep product is a beauty tool because it's going to do more for you than any other. Th- you know, moisturizer or cream that you could use. So we had to give a good sleep experience, and then we wanted to um, obviously uh, support those beauty benefits, which are important.
2: So when you think about marketing, because because you're really putting together, like, a holistic experience for them, how what do your marketing initiatives look
1: like for this? So when we started out, it was only direct consumer, which was a new ball game for me. I come from retail, so, like, I know how to land these big accounts. I never really gave credit to how much the retailer does to then earn the end user's trust to open up their wallet and come into the store and, you know. So when we launched, I was like, wow, we have this incredible product. I feel really good about the way our voice and the way we're telling the story. Done. My job is done. I'll be, uh, you know, I'll be on the G5 before, <laughs> before lunchtime. If only it was that easy, if right? Only- take, <laughs> take me with you. It is not build it and they will come. It was build it in like, crickets. Yeah, I was literally going to say that. <laughs> so uh, then we were like, okay, now how do we how do we get people to notice we're here and uh, trust us, you know, because we're a new brand telling a new story, creating a new need. You didn't know that you needed a pillow that had beauty benefits that cost three times as much as you're used to spending on a pillow. How do we do all this? And we're not Apple. We're we going to spend, like, $200 million in marketing, too. So after, like, really, you know, having a couple of weeks of, like, oh, gosh, what, what are we going to do? We went back to just the foundation we were like, We know we have an incredible product. And maybe if we get this incredible product in the right hands, then we can get some momentum. So we started a like we would have days of like pitchathon. We would literally be like, Okay, who is who do we trust? What are celebrities or influencers or whoever that like we're into? And it is shocking how easy it is to get people's information today. Like and pe- people are always shocked that you're like, oh, you just emailed them. Yeah, we just emailed them. <laughs> you will get email them, DM them, and if they don't respond to that, try another way. Just if you really want to get this person's attention, find a way to do so. Go through your network. We did that for weeks, and um,
0: who was who one of the like? Who was you? Like, you have like a wish list of people you want. I mean, obviously, I feel like it's more f- maybe female oriented at first. Is uh, that fair? Or?
1: So at the time we were like, okay, who's the biggest influencers? But you can't make it weird either, right? It, like you almost have to we, like adjust we thought your... We thought it was like Kardashian, like Kardashian play, right? Mm-hmm. That was like where our gut
2: Everybody to... says that, right? They call it the Car- the Kardashian
1: effect. It was like Oprah was maybe like 10 years ago. Yeah. So, so we started reaching out to them and we we also reached out to their glam squad, who the glam squads of celebrities have become like big influencers in themselves. Yeah. The first person that ever got us our PR moment was their makeup artist, Mario Davinovic awesome guy like we just emailed him he was like okay you can drop him off here's my like apartment address which <laughs> was like upper east side not far from where i live we dropped off. he was just
2: willing to let you bring pillows yeah. over there. I mean, come on over he, yeah. i yeah. mean he has a
1: door guy so like i guess he felt okay about it but yeah and then that night we were like following his this is back when like snapchat was big a couple years ago we were following his snap and he posted a picture of how many samples he gets in a day and we we're like, oh, man, <laughs> that was a waste of, you know, some samples because we're not going anywhere now. <laughs> then, like, maybe a week later, our first order from a stranger came in. And we I was with uh, my colleague, the, the seed money guy, and we, we started jumping up and down. We got our first order from a stranger, and then, like, another one came in. And we're like, what's going on? And then we realized then um, that night I was sitting in a, a Broadway show, and we get a tweet in an Instagram from Mario and it's a screenshot of this L article where he did a whole recap and feedback for us. Um, so that kind of like was our first big moment and we were so excited and we kept doing that. That's edit. amazing. When was that? 2015? 2000. Yeah. 2000 late 2015. Uh, and
0: you would direct people to go to your website and purchase from there. Yep.
1: Yeah. And that's really how we got what I didn't learn is called top funnel traffic. Yeah. Um, top know, funnel. I love the speak, marketing. Speak funnel. in her language. Yeah. yeah. This was a uh, not my um, area of expertise at the time, but obviously have learned a lot. So we started pushing influencers, and those influencers in the way you approach them has changed dramatically. I was just
2: gonna say because something like
1: that, he would I, I would assume want to be paid for now as opposed to three years ago. So it's <clears throat> it's interesting. I think it has moved even more towards that, right? Definitely more towards the paid, but um, people are still doing stuff organically. It's definitely harder, and um, it's more of a crapshoot than it was back then, where a lot more people were willing to. Because now they're signed by agencies, and they're right. not allowed to. Even if they love the product, they're not allowed to promote anything unless they go through. You know, they have contracts
2: the or channels, right?
1: So um, yeah, it's not it's not easy. But it wasn't even easy And then. There was still the beginnings of that. Um, and over time we've kind of pivoted really though the people who are the most influential have become less Well, who you would think are the most influential the ones with big followers I've really seen their audience become less sticky over time I'm seeing a big move towards micro influencers yeah people with more curated audiences and the great thing about those people is a lot of times they're not represented by agencies and you can work with them
2: so like what does a micro influencer look like to you
1: Um, I don't know if there's an exact amount of followers or whatever, but it's somebody who's, I would say, um, you know, probably at least around 20 to 100,000 followers, if we're talking about Instagram, could be a little bit more, but their engagement level is always really high. Um, I think like one to 2% is up to 3% is like, if you see someone with a 3% or more engagement level and a they have a curated audience right. and you really, we actually made up our own algorithm not too long ago for like all these different things and how we were seeing, um, return on those people and kind of figured out a way to made up like a whole point system to curate which ones. I want to
2: learn about this. It's,
1: it, 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 it was so many different variables. It was how many followers, how much different, what's their engagement rate. If they have a website, what's their Alexa score Yeah, on that? That was always huge. You, you, because I mean, I don't. Have, this isn't news to anyone, but obviously, you can buy followers. Yes, you can, you can. You can buy likes. You you even want to see too if their comments are, you know, all like um, emojis. No, that's that's not a play. You want like real comments, um, and like you can tell how authentic they are. People asking questions, like questions that are actually reasonable. Right. You can you can start to to see that. So. Um, I've been fortunate enough to – I'm here in the city and have a good network and have some people in my network who are influencers. So, A, it's always going to be the – you can't fake anything pretty much, right? Like, it's always going to be best if you can find somebody who has a connection to you, to the brand, to the story, to the product, Um, because the way they're going to tell the story, you just – no amount of money in your ad budget is going to be able to recreate that authenticity. So working with those people, I actually recently brought on one of my dear friends who is like a micro-influencer, and now she leads our social media. That's she, amazing. She's so good. That she, she has this natural ability to tell the story. And she's been such a supporter from day one, and she was pushing us, pushing us all the time. We were getting – I should mention, so we've had stuff like – we've been in Kim Kardashian's gift guide. Kylie Jenner has sat at us. We've been on Name a Major. TV, Good Morning America, Today Show, Summer House, Summer House, <laughs> World News Tonight, we've, all the high quality Summer House and World News Tonight, yeah. yep.
0: <laughs> the, the highest of brow yeah, yeah. TV shows. We've had
1: we've had we've had so we've been so blessed with so many huge PR moments, and you would think you know one of those moments is your like tipping point where you're done, and it it's not. I haven't seen that be the case today. People have very short attention spans. You get a huge spike, but then you're back to where you were unless you do something else to keep that momentum alive. Um, but we saw such huge, even continuous and so much more engagement from the people like my friend who's this micro influencer. So really building that community and, and letting her who's connected to other micro influencers start building that out is working better for us than having all these like huge moments that just, you know, went up and then, and up and then down. straight down.
0: As far as like, I mean, because I, I have the pillow myself, I have tried to explain it to some of the people, and like some of my friends don't really get it. Has that been a challenge? I think for you, you're not just direct consumer anymore, right? You're have you evolved into oh, retail, or so, I mean, I guess telling that story, like, is it hard? Is it harder? Do people believe you? Does so, it look hokey? <laughs> is
2: it and then is it is it more long winded, right? Because there's a lot of educational elements around that.
0: I
1: mean, that's our biggest issue. Is like we over develop the product and un. Fortunately, you have to move people slowly. You know, you you get in because you're a,
2: shifting their mindset
1: in so many different ways, and that's right. a huge. Yeah, we have this incredible experience, but there's so much to tell. Which story do we tell? Do we just tell one? Does that justify? So, yeah, it's it's still evolving, and we've expanded with more products. Um, we actually now have like a good, better, best story. So, we launched a brand called Shine, which instead of silk, it really focused on satin, which allows us to expand the story to um, much more
0: um, palatable different, price points. Different price point, yeah. Okay.
1: So, and through that, it's really opened up our, our ability to distribute to a lot of different retailers. So, we're sold everywhere from like with Shine, CVS, Costco, QVC, Bed Bath and Beyond, Bloomingdale's, Anthropology. I mean, normally a, a brand doesn't sell to both Anthropology and CVS, but because we've launched a sister brand, same story. The story is really the story. The overarching theme of our story is beauty made comfortable,
2: right.
1: and we're doing that through sleep products. Um, but because we have two different materials we're using in two different brands, we can have a huge diversity in our distribution plan.
2: I also like your tagline: "Sleep with benefits." Yeah, sleep with <laughs> benefits.
0: that's funny. <laughs> it, i mean beyond like i mean i know the mattress category obviously here in new york you ride the subway you, you can't escape a casper ad or a lisa ad or a Tomorrow. avocado. you name it um as far as your marketing strategy i mean i know you've kind of gone more maybe grassroots influencer is that something as you continue to grow like am i going to see a, a discover night commercial or a discover night subway ad
1: i think eventually you have to, you have to go that way you know um to keep up with Growing the way you want to grow, obviously, you have to get your message to a broader audience. And there's different vehicles to do that. And we haven't leaned into the paid one as much. I mean, for our size company, we don't spend as much on marketing as a lot of ones, but most of them are VC funded and they don't have to be profitable every year. Right. Um, We have to be profitable because, and we have to take salaries. And, you know, there's kind of a different vibe in the way we're structured um, that doesn't give us the luxury of of trying out a lot of different marketing vehicles and then not worrying if you lose some money in the process. Um, But now that we've kind of had had some proof of concept and have a distribution plan and have a few years of financials behind us, we probably will go that way. And I don't, Think but what,
2: what motivates those type of purchases? Because I was watching Shark Tank the other night and um, there was a company that spent over a million dollars just on Facebook ads as opposed to like billboards or commercials. So, so how do you decide where there's the most value?
1: So you really have, it's all businesses. When I've learned this kind of the hard way, is trial and error. Yeah. You will get advice from everyone. I think everything can work in different scenarios. You know, for for some people, outdoor advertisement, like billboards and stuff, will, will be the play. For some people, it'll be Facebook. And in general, it's all of them that need to work together. But not everyone has, again, the ability to invest in all of them. So where do you start first? Uh, it, again, it depends on what you have as far as marketing spend and what you know is incoming. And you can kind of judge that. But I always kind of think about it from, um, would it make me physically sick? Like, marketing to me, you have to look at it and you don't get ROI. So would it make me physically sick if I spent $50,000 on a play and didn't get anything in return? If I can say that would make me physically sick, then we're not ready for that play. right? If I can say, you know what, that could I, be-
2: I think it's also, I agree, it's an emotional spend too, right? Like you need to justify what the value is going to be.
1: And sometimes um, you, you, it's not necessarily that direct ROI, but there's a way to make it worth it. So if I know I spend $50,000 on an event, but I'm getting my retailers, like my big retailers are going to be there at that event and it's going to show them what we're doing to get our name out there, which is going to lead to more retail business, then yeah, that makes sense. Um, but if it's just a $50,000 event and I don't have a way to make it valuable to quantify it, then, you mm-hmm. know, I have to, we're not in a position right now to, to make that worth it. But a lot of companies are, and a lot of companies have, you know, budgeted marketing spends where they're going to spend Hundred million a year, just pick out of a hat what it is, and then you kind of just see if it works and you pivot from there.
0: Right. But you always
1: spend as little as possible to get a test, to get a read, and then you get the read and then Maybe make a- adjustments. You never want to go just all in on and something. How do, you, how do you know that you're spending enough to get the read? It's, you know what? There's no perfect formula, and there's never going to be. You start getting an emotional feel for things over time. The more you do something, the more you'll kind of understand how long it takes to have a read on it so you just have to trial and error it and um, be okay with you know sp- losing a little bit of money in the process it's part of figuring it out figuring out what the formula is and 50,000 is your max I'm guessing <laughs> <laughs> um, you know it it depends I really try at this point to put my marketing more as rev shares so there's different ways you can do you can do the marketing spend um, you know we've had Marketing spends way more than $50,000, but we've done them as rev shares. So if you're producing, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars from the play, then $50,000 plus might not, is very palatable. But you want to know what you're producing first. So you, if you do it as a rev share, then it's kind of a win-win.
2: Right, so influencer
1: marketing is a better driver for you in terms of capitalizing and valuing. Usually <clears> you can do rev shares on that, but I've found you can do rev shares on a lot of things. I mean, everything is kind of up for negotiation. So finding creative ways where you can still obviously pay for whatever service you're getting in return because whoever's promoting you or helping tell your story or giving you a platform deserves you know, credit and, and compensation for that, but doing it in a way that doesn't break you. Um, and what's the most creative rev share approach you came up
2: with?
0: <laughs> I've, I mean, I've had some rev share opportunities come to me, and I've, I'm curious to hear what you – it's an interesting thing. I think a lot more companies, startups, newer brands like yours are definitely going that route. Because it's something in it for both people.
1: Yeah. Um, all of ours have been pretty creative. We we kind of have now, like, a template forum, what we're willing to do. There's a lot of technology out there that supports that. So you can get on influ- influencer marketing platforms where they allow you, like, award styles, one of them. If you know the Instagram product, like, to know it. Like, to know, like it, to know it. Yeah, that's yeah. That's one of their products. Um, those kind of things are great. So really, though, you have to, you can't just get on a platform and take a break, like, you get on a platform that's a tool in your in your treasure chest of tools and you take that to, you know, whoever you think is uh, somebody you'd want to work with and you pitch them. You have to sell them on making it worth it and you want to make it worth it for them. You don't just want to sell them and have them do it and then be done. Because, again, it's not going to be one thing that makes your company. Right. It's going to be more long-term relationships and being able to do this, you know, repeating the process over and over again. Um So finding a way that you know, after you know your business well enough to know what's going to work, selling someone who they're going to make money on it. My goal is anyone I work with for them to make money because then they're going to want to work with me again. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, they're they're all creative, but you work with, I usually give anywhere from like 10 to 20 percent of whatever revenue we're doing. That's a good percentage. I'll give you credit. yeah. That's high.
0: Yeah. I love that That's really I, good
1: Because why not Again I want the person To get paid Yeah If they're not making it If I'm not making it Worth their time yeah.
2: They're I never going to Work with us, right. us again yeah. the game.
1: And then they're going to be And then you, you lose trust I mean There's a billion reasons But yeah we want to be As generous as possible Because they keep coming back And it's Then it's your marketing you know, it's not just an ROI. It's not just selling. It's not just sales for you. That's marketing for you. If yeah. this other person's working with you and promoting your products. So if we're not losing money, then I'm okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, we talked a lot about your success and I, I asked this question a lot of our guests is, I mean, you make mistakes. I know you said you learn from your failures. Can you kind of maybe outline an example of when you started, you know, discover night, maybe a mistake you guys made or something you did that you really, really learned from that you could share with our listeners?
1: Oh man, we make we make we make more mistakes at, than we have wins for sure.
0: I mean, could you like just maybe one like kind of nugget I'm, of a mistake? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious.
1: I would Okay, so there's one that I still I try to let everything go and say that's it's just learning moments There's one I still kind of think about. So, when we first got started, like 3 months in, we're getting, you know, the Kardashians are like snapping us and we're like really feeling ourselves and having all this stuff happen. Um, which might have been, like, beginner's luck, I don't know. But at the time, there was somebody who's become even bigger. Um, she's a glam squad person, a very famous – I'll just I – mean, it's, <laughs> it's one of the Kardashians' glam squad people. And I was talking to her manager. She was about to launch a company herself, and her manager mentioned, um, you know, maybe we could work out a deal where there's, like if – you, if you can't afford to do some kind of partnership – Maybe we could work out a deal where there's like an equity partnership. And I'm like not at this point willing at all to part from that. Because like one-on-one of businesses, people keep telling you over and over again, like, don't give up your equity. Don't give up your equity. So that time I'm like, hard stop. Then later, probably our biggest competitor in the at least in the beauty category, she ends up partnering with them. I don't know the specifics of their partnership. And that company has blown up. Oh, So I don't know if it's a mistake because, you know, we're not at the end of the story yet. But I always – I wish I would have been more open to exploring the conversation at the time and and, and vetting it out more before just getting scared away by, you know, the the term like equity partnership if I – maybe if I explored it more. So I think it taught me to be a little bit more open-minded about things and to continue down a road until, you know – I've really seen that there's. I it shouldn't go for it. Do you
2: think if they approached you now that
1: you'd be willing to give up some equity? Yes. <laughs> I'm say a word in front of that. Yes. Yes. Because um, again, I see the value in today's world of having somebody with such a strong network, And, and a strong network. reach, and I've seen yeah. what they and I've seen what they've done for this other brand who, and then how this other brand has then expanded huge in retail, and to get your, you know, your product in retail you're either playing, you either have a really strong brand and marketing story or you have a price story. Right. So how do you expand in any way without marketing unless you just want to become a commodity, which we already explained is not the best thing to become as far as a product goes.
0: I was curious too, like, I mean, I come from a software background where we basically helped companies collect reviews and products. You know, feedback from customers, but to be displayed on their website, basically direct to consumer online. I know retail, I mean, a lot of people say retail is dead. Certain brands, I mean, the Toys R Us of the world are no longer. Where do you, I mean, I know retail is important, maybe within the beauty category, but is there kind of like, you guys going to be 50-50 like online retail? Like, where does that, like, what's the percentage of?
2: So this And year- also kind of like leading onto that, is retail really that important for you? If you're able to still distribute direct to consumer, because then you're keeping more of your margins.
1: Yeah, and so to me, to me, why not do both? I honestly am a, I'm a big believer in both. I could argue either side of the coin. Retail is dead. Some models of retail, yeah, are, are falling not off. Not all of it, but but like there's certain channels that still matter a lot in retail, like the drugstore channels, for example. People yeah. people talk about millennials all day long. Baby boomers have a ton of money and nobody's marketing to them. I agree. It's such a missed opportunity. And by the way, the places they used to shop are dead. Yeah. So like they just have all this money where to spend it. I mean, QVC for us was a monster and millennials aren't watching that. Um, the drugstore channel, those they have 10 prescriptions, and they have no nothing to do with their day, so they're just up and down those aisles all day. I don't fall into that category, and that was still me the other day. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean Dwayne Reed is, like, one of my favorite places. Like, sprinkle my ashes there. I love oh. just spending time in those, you know, going up and down and seeing what they have. But I think, they
2: get you because you have to wait for your prescription, right? So if you're waiting, you might as well just look around, and then it's all impulse purchases.
1: Yeah, and I, I think... D- No matter how much technology develops, you're not going to take away an in-person experience. And when you talk about the different generations, obviously it's important to attract a younger generation and always reach younger. But don't neglect the power that is still present, you know? Um, I don't know. Everyone does a company for – has a different time period in mind. But if your time period is, I'd say, less than 20 years, uh, definitely don't neglect the baby boomers, they are super super powerful and they buy stuff for their entire family so as far as discovery goes you know your your product could ultimately be in the hands of a ton of different demographics through them so i think that's super important as far as direct to consumer it's not it's not the margin play for me i know that sounds ridiculous because obviously i should be concerned about product margin for me what direct to consumer does is it allows me feedback from the end user and no matter how much i look at sales from a like retailers, they'll give you the sales. I'll know if it's selling well, but I can, it's only conjecture as far as why it's selling well or not. I don't know that like there's loose threads on the pillowcase or I don't know that people think that you're supposed to wash the whole pillow. Like I'm not getting this kind of granular feedback, which can be so important to evolving my product. So I feel like the ability to connect with the end user um, and get that feedback and what that's going to do for your product development and, the development of your business model in general is super important. So you always want to have that.
0: I love that. Yeah. That's that's basically what I sold as far as like being able to to get really good feedback from your user is having the direct-to-consumer component. I mean, you're sending them an email to confirm their order. You send them maybe an email to ask about their purchase. They can comment on the page or whatever, but you get a lot more product development, roadmap, and understanding what the customer is actually saying.
1: It's the one thing that I just can't ever – we spend way too much time on – well, I mean that's I guess up for argument, but on customer service because I won't outsource it, and we handle it internally with our small team. I love that. That's so important. But I feel like that nothing makes me. I can handle the mistakes and losing money. When I when we I see an email come through that they couldn't get a hold of us or something, that's where like I get really really angry because, you know, these people open up their wallet for you and like I've been that angry customer who just wants someone to pick up the phone. Yeah, just and, talk to me for a minute. Yeah, and, like, give me feedback. I, like, give me um, an ear to listen to for my feedback. So I think it's ultimately business is about trust. And I don't think people think every product they buy is going to be perfect. I just think it's important to take care of them if the experience is not what they expected. And I really want to make sure we always do that. And having that direct business... Is a gateway too? You
0: know, the, now do you that. have like I? I know we're going into a lot of the business side, but as far as the product experience, I mean, obviously, bedding people like typically have walked into a store and laid on the bed to try it out. As far as your product, I mean, you've had, have people tried it and be like, ah, it doesn't help me. Kind of get like
1: the the feedback from the user X is really a I mean, of course, we've had you know people not be happy. They're always going to have those people. Yeah, you're, you're always going to have those people so in the beginning when. I had a little bit more bandwidth i would like use that as like a challenge and then try to come up with you know something that would suit their needs to see if that was even possible um it's really outliers though i mean i'm not just saying this but like our, especially our hero product is just extraordinary now we have as you always will we have you know sometimes issues with qualities like i mentioned loose threads and stuff um as far as the, the product yeah, but no one's being,
0: ever after like a month been like you know what i'm not sleeping any better my skin still sucks
1: I mean, no. Give me my
0: money back. <laughs> yeah.
1: We've had, we've had some crazy, <laughs> crazy. People, people like want immediate, um, they want their needs to be met immediately, right? Or so like if- we've had people like, I mean, a recent one I can think of is somebody who said they've suffered from chronic migraines their entire life. And they were like, I bought your pillow because I thought it would cure my migraines and it didn't. I'm like, Why would I- they think that? That it- exactly, like we never have marketed yeah. it's going to cure your migraines. I've never even spoken about the pillow and migraines, um, but you know, people put their own narrative on things and have certain expectations. The thing is, we always take care of people, like. I don't even know if I should say this, but like you could have the pillow for ten years, even though that's not our policy. That we take the return, we're going to take the return, yeah, and we're going to give them the money back. I don't Guess really want them to. It's kind of like the, really the, that.
0: Experience. Was it L.O. Bean was like yeah, that for a while, and um, Nordstroms is like that. Nordstroms, yeah, will yeah, yeah. take back. One of my Anything. favorite
1: stores. <laughs> Great, Cost- and I think the, they've had to. As you get huge, I, you can have people abuse and You have to, but we're still at the stage where. We can do those kind of things, and it's what's great about being at our stage. So, I, I you know, I like doing that. And honestly, I, I don't want – it's not about tricking people into spending money. It's about giving them something of value and there being an exchange that both parties are happy with. And one, if one's not, let's, you know – to reverse it.
2: Yeah. So a lot of my students and, um, just people that I've been in contact with recently, even the other day at a call are startups. Um, so one of the people that I just spoke to, she's a startup in jewelry and she is very nervous and hesitant to take any marketing initiatives, right? She doesn't want to invest. She realizes that her budgets are very, very tight. So, like even right down to giving people product, she's hesitant to do that. Do you have any advice
1: or any perspective on that? That um, you you, you got to take you got to take some risk and some leaps of faith on that. Especially if you believe in your product, you should be okay with giving you know some away to to the right people. Because if it's as great as you think it is, you will get some kind of return on that. It's so funny because we just had Black Friday and I was traveling and when I got back, um, they were saying in the office how how many orders came through from people we know. And we're like, why? Like People that we've worked with on some level or um, influencers that we've worked with came back during, they probably were waiting for the Black Friday sale and came back and purchased some themselves. And I was thinking, For every product we've probably given away, because people love the product so much, even if they're not promoting it, they've come back and become customers. How funny. So, again, if you're super confident in your product, then you should be okay giving some away. And then, you know, if if you don't see uh, some kind of, um, you know, return on that, you probably want to, like, reexamine.
0: Yeah, take a look at the product itself. Yeah, you might want to
1: think about that because you're not offering something that compelling enough. Um, so I think you have to be okay with it and then you got to be okay taking, going in the hole a little bit. I don't know if you gamble, but I, I like at Vegas playing on the the tables, the crap tables and stuff. Craps are my favorite. Right? The best game ever. You'll be doing it on
0: your, G, your G5 yeah, soon. Yeah,
1: eventually, eventually. But you gotta, you gotta be willing to go sometimes in the hole a little bit to come out of the hole. So I've always, every time I gamble with people who are so scared about going in the hole, they're the ones who never win anything. So you got to be okay with it. That's part of the process. And is like there like that. a budget that you would
2: recommend them feeling comfortable
1: with in terms of? I mean, it's all very early stages. It's all percentage of sales or you know sales expectations. I typically think anywhere from like ten to twenty percent of your rev should be marketing. Um, I don't know what the baseline or like the key performance indicator for that. But but, <laughs> but go back to two thousand fifteen. What would that have looked like? Back then we were a lot more conservative. Back then, um, but probably probably more on like the let's see I can think about this probably more on the like eight to ten percent, whereas now are like twenty plus because that's where we've seen the return. Right. So whenever you start seeing a return on something, you want to keep pressing the gas to see how far it can go. Um, so s- start small and start getting some feedback, but be okay. I would say up to ten percent of what you expect to do on ref. Think about whatever your monthly rev is going to be and be okay doing that. You should go into a situation where you built out your retail to be able to absorb that. You have that in your product margin to be able to play with, especially if your product is direct-to-consumer. And if your product is direct-to-consumer, you need this marketing play a lot. So you have to have a budget for marketing. You have to be okay with going into the hole and taking some risk and then just learn from it. Everything, no matter what, will be a learning. The failures will be just as big learning opportunities as the wins, probably bigger.
0: So what's, um, I mean, obviously I love my pillow. Thank you again. Down the line, I mean, obviously product development, you're getting feedback. Um, Where does the next year or two look like for Discover Night? I mean, you guys going to expand into other parts of the mattress or sleeping category?
1: So we've already expanded. We went from one initial SKU to probably about 30, 35. Wow, amazing. And we've gone, uh, so, and we started out with one manufacturer. I think now we have six or seven manufacturers in our matrix. So, tons of product expansion. A lot of that's been driven by our retail partnerships. But we're going really hard, more in the beauty category than even bedding. Um, Beauty, there's just so much fun things to do with it. And we make products that are not, they're not cosmetics or not specifically for women because, again, it's like a beauty make comfortable story. So, they're products that are just Wellness products that can be used by you know either men or women, and they're really kind of like uh, for like the lazy person, I would say, because I'm kind of lazy, you know. um So I kind of I make products that I would use. Nothing like eight I feel step. like you're not lazy. I
2: think that's uh like it's a wrong category. It's more along the lines: how do you make your life easier? Like what? How do for you
1: sure. simplify it? Right? But I'm like definitely the person that takes Ubers like uh. ten blocks. You know, like, <laughs> I like to like, but it's making your life easier, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so. Yeah, but there's no, like, seven-step, you know, products that you have to use. Our newest product is a sheet mask. Um, sheet masks are great because if you do like masking, that kind of experience, obviously it's much easier than, like, a mud mask or anything that creates a mess. But the issue with sheet masks is they dehydrate your skin really bad. So you're not supposed to use them more than a couple times a month. Ours is actually – I didn't look- know that. Yeah, it's a uh, – that's – you know, I think they got really popular, and they're super easy to use. So you could. There's people who are like, "Oh, I do it every day." But
2: yeah, you just could- as
1: an FYI for our listeners, Kelly has really good skin. <laughs> thank you. Thank, she you. Does great skin. thank you. Thank you. Well, <laughs> the sheet mask though um, is actually made from a piece of silk fabric. Oh. So it doesn't dehydrate your skin. It has all those amazing properties. You can use it as much as you want, and we're we're really leaning into silk and even satin being our technology. I'm obsessed with the fabrication. I think it's awesome. There's so many different ways we can we can infuse it into everyday products. But I would love like ultimately like making a mattress that has like you're absorbing your vitamins while you sleep. Stuff like that, like I would love to go into that. I would love that too. <laughs> when we all, you know, when we have, can our it teach products. me how to work
2: out while I'm sleeping yeah. too? <laughs> I mean, we're
1: always worried about like more hours in the daytime, but you have this nighttime that we're tra- yeah. that we could optimize as well. So, I see us going in so many different ways. I really don't want to put, you know, uh, a limit into what we can and can't do, uh, just so it's products that I would actually use and open up my wallet for, and are making our life easier and providing value. Then we're on the right track. So, one last question.
2: Um, do you have any sales or marketing advice for our listeners, that, especially
1: startups, that you could offer? The best advice I ever got was very random. Very, very random. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you who it was. Rohan Marley, Bob Marley's son. Oh. Randomly. That's cool. <laughs> hey,
0: Mon. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Randomly,
1: have... we met him um, through a network, and we, we ended up having a meeting with him our very first week of business. And he has, he's That's not a bad person to have a meeting with. And He's, he's like, you know, a pretty eclectic guy. He insisted on having the meeting at his, at his apartment. So we go over to his apartment, you know, he's Bob Marley's son, which is cool. And we're like, oh, we're, you know, we're telling all about the business. Um, and he's CEO of Marley Coffee, which is publicly traded, yeah. you know, business. And he, the best advice he gave and the best advice I've ever gotten is he said, just worry about selling one. If you can sell one, you can sell two. And if you can sell two, you can sell three. And if you can sell three, you can sell four and so on and so on and so on. And I don't know why that stuck with me so much. I think because when you go into a business, you have very grandiose ideas about being apple, the next Apple, you know, the next Ralph Lauren, if you're, you know, clothing, whatever, these huge brands. Um, but just breaking it down into, at that point, selling one would be moving forward and that's all we have to worry about because if we if you can do that you can do the next step and so on and we we it written on our one of our boards in the office we probably mention it every week and it kind of just grounds me
0: i actually saw it when i was there
1: yeah it's it's (laughs) great though it really grounds me and, and it reminds me that like you don't have to be you will be by the way those big brands if you if you just keep moving forward yeah So, my advice would be don't worry about being the biggest and the best. Worry about moving forward. Worry about that first sale. Yeah, selling one. Selling selling one. Yeah.
0: That's good advice. Well, where can we find you on, I mean, discovernight.com?
1: Discovernight.com is uh, where you can find all our products. And then a list of retailers is on there, but Bloomingdale's, Anthropology, QVC, Bed Bath Beyond. CBS.
0: Never heard of any of those. No. <laughs> most, most
1: major retailers, you're going to find it. some of our products.
0: And so. then maybe if anybody was curious about finding more about you, where would they find you?
1: Um, you could go to the About Us section, and or you could look at my social media handles at Callie Simpson, K A L L E Simpson.
2: Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review, or catch us on Instagram at One Question XYZ.